Hey, you guys, welcome back to another episode. Um, today, I just want to talk about my experience being an alcoholic. That alone, saying that is pretty hard because, well, I recently admitted pretty much the fact that I have a problem about a week ago. So I've been sober for the first time in a long time within six days as of today. And I just want to talk about pretty much how I got here and the contributions of like me remaining an alcoholic. Um, yeah, so let's get into it. I would say that like, let me give a brief background of my family because addiction runs really deep in my family on my mom's side for the most part. I don't know too many people on my dad's side, to be honest with you, outside of like my immediate family. So like my older cousins, like my great uncles and all that, like I don't really know them. So I can't really speak on my dad's side as far as like how addiction runs because his mom, his siblings and his aunts and uncles, they weren't addicts. So it, it came from my mom's side because my mom's side definitely had an issue with um, substance abuse and it was really, really bad. To the point where my sister and I were put into foster care. Now, before that, I remember being young and my grandmother um, lived in Boston. She lived in Dorchester. And my mom would take us over there for her to watch us. And um, she used to be mean. I mean, when we were like kids, um, I can recall... I can recall a time when I was like eight. I had to be like eight years old. <clears throat> and because she used to cook like pig feet. She used to cook hog mogs, chitlins, all that stuff. And as a kid, that's pretty disgusting, right? She didn't care. She would make us like sit at the table until we finished everything on our plate. And she was intimidating, and the thing is, like, I loved my grandmother. Oh, I'm getting emotional. My grandmother didn't have the best upbringing. She was, she was abused, you know? She was in domestic violence. <clears throat> she grew up in the South and uh, moved to Boston when she was a, um, a young adult. She was, I think, 19. Same for my paternal grandmother, interestingly enough. But, um, you know, it was chaotic. My grandfather... I know he put his hands on her. He was intimidating as well. And I don't remember much about him because he died when I was young. I think he passed away when I was like eight, like when I was like nine. I didn't, I don't recall much about him. I just know that he was a bigger guy, pretty intimidating, you know, and the way he spoke to my grandmother, he wouldn't do shit all day. He would just sit on the couch, you know, like she would make dinner for him. Like she catered to him and as a kid I just didn't get it I was like why is he here like he's not doing anything and I remember like asking her like hey grandma do you need help <laughs> you know because he was just there and he would like 
say mean things, you know, like degrade her in a sense. But as a kid, I didn't know what the words meant. But now that I look back, I can recall her face, you know, when he would say certain things. And I can imagine that that contributed to her drinking. Also living in Boston in the 90s, it was it was pretty rough. So sorry to get off track, but she was resilient. She worked at a laundromat. She was a manager there. Um, she would open and close. Sometimes I remember us going over there, you know, after preschool or after daycare, she would watch us. <laughs> and um, I'll, I'll never forget that. Um, running around the laundromat while she handled customers and helping her with all the quarters and making sure you know, we used to not count the quarters, but we used to stack them into fours which were dollars for her and um when it was bad it was bad so she ended up quitting um just years later i think i was about i had to have been about closer to 16 or 17 when she quit at this time i was like pretty fresh out of foster care because i was in foster care really from the age of 12 to 16 so she was a new person. I almost like when I first seen her after years of not seeing her, she moved and she lived in Dorchester still, but in a different part of Dorchester. She lived off of Columbia Road, which alone was a really dangerous area. But um, seeing her, I, I, I didn't know who she was. It was like a different person. She was sober. She was kind. She was nice. She was embracive. She was just so sweet. It's crazy what alcohol can do to a person, but, um, and it was hard, it still is, to think about the fact that she's no longer here. Um, and I'm trying right now not to cry because I miss her. I miss her a lot. And I miss the fact that she um, didn't have the life that she deserved. You know, like she, she, from fucking, from the time that she was born until the time that she's, the time that she passed, I feel like she never caught a break. I feel like her heart never caught a break you know I feel like her her mental health I feel like everything just kind of got neglected she neglected herself I feel like she put everybody before her including her son which is my uncle that I don't talk to I feel like he contributed to the decline of my grandmother's health um, on top of everything else but that's a different story I don't want to get into that I just wanted to make it clear that um she deserved a better life now my mom she wasn't so much an alcoholic. She was an addict, um, hard drugs. I believe I got into alcohol like around probably age of 28, I would say, like between the ages of like 27 and like late 27 to 28 years old is when I really heavily got into alcohol. I didn't think of it as anything. I was consuming alcohol weekly, but not as much as every day. And I was just drink enough to get tipsy, but not drink enough to get fully drunk and like <laughs> completely a mess. I get to the point of what alcohol did to me and what it did for me. I couldn't, I just couldn't stop. And drinking during the pandemic really messed me up. Like it really, really messed me up. I mean, to the point where I would drink. So my drink of choice was um, Jameson. Jameson was my boyfriend. <laughs> it's not funny, but it is because 
James ain't got me through some things. And um, yeah, I can drink a lot of that. And to the point where I would just black out or I would have I would have my day set up and the first thing I, that would come to my mind and I I would wake up and I would think of alcohol. I can't wait to make my coffee. So I'm going to do that. That will give me enough energy to do this, do that. And then after I have lunch, I can then have a sip of wine, right? And then that turns into two wines and then three glasses and then four. It would be the whole bottle. And then I would be lazy, but I would feel good, but I'll be lazy and disappointed in myself because I'm like, oh my God, the whole point was to feel good while I did this activity, but I can't do it because I'm now bloated. I'm now hazy. My whole day is gone because of that. So the the feeling of temporarily wanting that feel good itch, I scratched it and I scratched it real good because I'm not the type of girl that can just pour, you know, a glass of wine and then that's it. I have to keep going. Like I would never be the cute girl that can just sip a cocktail and then call it even. I got to keep going until I feel like that feeling is going to carry over for like at least another three or four hours. But at that point, you're intoxicated, you're drunk and you're going to crash pretty soon. You're going to wake up feeling like shit (laughs) and it's going to start all over again. Every single day I thought of drinking for years, even I would drink before I went to the gym. I would drink um, my choice besides Jameson was IPAs. Because I knew that if I was going to buy beer, it would be the highest percentage of alcohol. That way I got more bang for my buck. And I would get a nice big can for like four bucks, good quality IPA. And it would have like 10% of alcohol in it instead of buying like a Corona, which is only like 4.5%. I would probably, I would drink two of those and have like three shots of Tito's. Like I was downing alcohol like it was nothing because it wasn't anything to me it was it wasn't anything to me but at the same time it was my life I would drink on my break at work that's hard to admit too because uh obviously um obviously I don't want to self-incriminate myself but I used to drink on the job I'm not gonna say which job But I would, on my break, go to the liquor store and it would be like um, half a pint of Tito's and I would pour it in a bottle, a water bottle, and just guzzle it down, you know, right before I went into work. I knew what I was doing was wrong. I just didn't care. My mind could not, like, the switch could not turn off because I was depressed I was angry at myself I was like not making as much money as I used to um I feel like I settled a lot in different places of my life and I I was losing myself I I felt like I no longer was a driver you know I was just a passenger in my own body I was just watching it crash and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't stare it away. I couldn't stare it away from the bottom of that fucking glass. I have a tattoo on my right forearm and it says, just get another glass. 
just get another glass and it has like a little glass of wine spilled over and then it reads into saying that and I got that because it was symbolic for me to be like you know what don't cry over spilled milk but deep down inside since I was an alcoholic it was like just get another glass it wouldn't make sense for the average person that isn't an alcoholic because you're not an alcoholic people that don't even drink or never have will never understand what it feels like to be an addict to alcohol I knew and so the tattoo represents something totally different now for me because I can't just get another glass <laughs> I, I can't get another glass at all I had to completely quit and people would be like oh no just drink on the weekends and I'm like I don't think I don't think people understand when someone is explaining to them that they're an alcoholic I can't limit it to the weekend if I limit it to the weekend I'm drinking that following day on a Monday on my break at lunch is going to be a continuous cycle. The point of an alcoholic is that we can't stop when we know we should. But I just got tired of being tired and hiding it from other people, drinking during times I shouldn't be drinking, getting behind the wheel because I used to drink the same amount, same brand of stuff and every day. Um, my skin was getting dry. I was looking more tired. Um, I was gaining weight. I was always, I was just tired. I was always waking up feeling groggy and I was, I just didn't have any energy. So I would get off of work and I have the opportunity to turn left or turn right when I would leave work. If I turn left, I'm going to the liquor store because it's down the street. If I turn right, that means I'm going straight home. Every day I would turn left and I chose the liquor store over sobriety. I didn't choose right. I didn't choose the right way. And to me, that was very symbolic. And then on my lunch break, I just started crying because I was like, I'm fucking tired. I can literally go right now because who's stopping me? Because who is stopping me, right? When you're an alcoholic or an addict, period, who is stopping you? <laughs> no one can stop you but you. And so I'm like, I can go right now. I can lie to myself, which means I can lie to people. I can be like, yeah, I'm going to go grab some McDonald's. I'm going to the liquor store. Yeah, I quit. I fucking just had an IPA. You know, I can tell people whatever I want for the delusion. But at the end of the day, I'm lying to myself, regardless what I tell people. Because I know that I'm the one that snuck and drunk something when I just said that I quit. I'm the one that has to sleep and lay down. I'm the one that has to sleep with myself. And again, like I said, you're only lying to yourself at the, at the end of the day. You know you're not making any progress. You know you're not going to feel any better by next month because you're not even starting with one day to feel better. And I literally had to hate myself for a while. And when I say hate myself, I mean hate the person I became and hate the person I was becoming. That's what I mean. I was hating the person that I was becoming. And I'm like, this is not me. I deserve better. I deserve to treat myself better. And it's not going to be easy. Like right now, I want a fucking beer. <laughs> okay. It's like waves. There's waves of me wanting to drink. And then there's waves of me being like, oh, please, I don't need a drink right now. Let me get an edible. Let me go smoke. You know what I mean? Um, to ease it a little bit, to feel less angst. 
because I was either drinking to be numb or drinking to feel something. It was either those two reasons. And I had to pick and choose that there are way different, healthier options for me to feel and deal with the emotions that I'm going through in that moment. And I don't need to, I don't need to numb myself. I have to go through the feelings regardless of what it is, whether it's trauma, whether it's dealing with um, loss, which I've dealt with recently uh, with my grandmother. And I can't keep excusing myself from hurting myself. You know, like I can't keep making excuses to cause self-harm. And I gave that up. I completely given it up. And um, it's going to be a journey. So yeah, I quit and I have a lot more energy and I feel a lot more, I don't know, I just feel like I have a purpose to every day choose that I don't want to, you know, drink. And I don't think it'll ever go away. It just won't. (laughs) So I feel good and I love edibles. So I have that to, you know, at least regulate my anxiety a little bit. And, and being a grower at a, a facility that grows cannabis, a lot of my coworkers grow personally as well. And again, like having a support system because nobody judges you if you have friends that like to go out and party and drink because it's just so normalized. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize the fact that being around an alcoholic, you may think that they're just, you know, the party person. Now, don't get me wrong. I can actually drink. I do know how to have a good time without drinking. But the issue was I didn't want to be sober. Everything that I did, I had to have alcohol. And it just didn't matter. Every day, I'm going to have to choose not to drink. And again, listening to other people's testimonies and how they recovered is very, very helpful. Because I know that I'm not alone. And anytime someone will mention like, hey, you know, just one drink or not be considerate of my journey, meaning please don't invite me out to a bar. Please don't take me to a a spot that has alcohol. And if it's like the center, not yet. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not strong. I'm not strong yet. Moving forward. Yeah. Like, The activities that we do is going to be a little bit more different because every fucking activity, every activity that I've done surrounded, was surrounded by alcohol. A lot of the activities that my friend and I used to do definitely surrounded alcohol, whether it was at a restaurant, a bar, bowling alley, the movie theater. Dude, let me tell you something. I remember going to the movie theaters. I got so drunk because the movie theater by my house actually has a bar, like a full bar, and you can take your drink to your seat. So as an alcoholic, I would go back and forth because in Massachusetts, you can't legally order two drinks at a time. So what I would do is once I finished my drink, whether it was like a beer or wine or uh, my preference, which was Jameson or Tito's. I would go take a seat, drink it, get back up, go back to the bar. (laughs) I would drink it at the bar. That way I can get my third drink to take with me back to my chair. I would sit down, drink it, and then go back to the the bar one last time for like, what, a two-hour movie? 
that's insane for me to just drink back to back like that because I just simply couldn't enjoy something that I loved, which was going to the movie theaters without having to be tipsy or close to it. That warm feeling in the center of your chest when you're about to get excited from drinking, it was like a chase. I was chasing that feeling every time that I was like either anxious, if I wanted to have fun, if I wanted to go to a concert, because let me tell you, I used to drink my ass off. <laughs> I used to drink my ass off when I used to go to a concert. I'm talking mixing. I'm talking uh, Marlowe and an IPA and then two shots after that. And I literally can feel myself slowly getting drunk and the show barely even started. Like the, the opening act didn't even complete their set yet. Like the actual main person I came to see didn't even get hit the stage yet. And here I am pretty much wobbling, like spilling my drink on the floor and shit because I'm like trying to keep still and focused. And I know that if I have another drink, it would be lights out. And then I would have to think about getting home. I didn't care. Like I did not have any care in the world. I would just, I would just drink, man. And people would be like, okay, you're drunk, you're tipsy. And I was like, no, I'm not. You know, you know how it goes where you like are in constant denial. You know you are, but then you're like, I got it. I, I'm in control. When in reality, people looking on the outside in are like, no, you don't. Girl, put the drink down. Drink some water. And I'm like, nah, nah, I'm going to get another beer. <sighs> Man, it was it was brutal because there was just no regulation. There was just no no one to stop me. And the thing about being an alcoholic is no one can stop you. Right now, as I'm speaking, I can I can just go to the liquor store because people will judge you if you have friends that are like coke heads or friends that or family members that you know do heroin or meth or whatever, right? But no one really takes a look at you if you have friends that actively drink damn near every day or all the time on the weekends and get shit faced and make poor decisions and no one cares <laughs> because it's so it's just so normal to go out and just drink, even though it's like one of the most toxic, poisonous things that we can have access to for a small price. And you don't need to find a drug dealer. The liquor store is your drug dealer as an alcoholic. You don't have to go far. You can go to the grocery store, Whole Foods. They have like some Whole Foods actually have a bar inside of the inside of the store where you can buy beer and wine and before you start doing your shopping when you really think about that shit that is crazy once you're done shopping you know what i'm saying you're not going to go back to the bar no one cares the bartenders don't care that you're going to have to drive home it's just not regulated at all the same way how porn is not really regulated when you really think about it but it's so like normalized and some will say that it's healthy in some cases, sex addiction is a real thing for people too. Social media, YouTube has their own thing for kids, but sometimes they might slip in some inappropriate channels or videos on the kids' YouTube channels. You got to regulate that too. So when it comes to the holidays, I'm not drinking either. None of that changes. And I, and I hope that I have a support system for a while and that people respect my journey because that is my fear is that I, I, I just want to be like understood and respected with everything that I'm definitely going to go through. 
and I believe that I got this. I know I do. Traveling, I used to go on a lot of like beer tours and like bar hopping just so I can meet new people and being a solo traveler, drinking definitely like lets you a little bit loose and you can talk a lot, you know, you could talk a lot more, but also you don't feel so like nervous. So I have so many pictures, so many videos of me drinking. <laughs> like over the years, I can't even tell you. Every country I've been to and documented and put on my YouTube channel, I'm most likely drinking something at least one time, whether it's dinner or what have you. And I'm a healthy person. I'm still healthy. I'm just not healthy in the head. Like I'm not mentally healthy. As long as I'm not mentally healthy, I'm not going to be physically healthy. I have to control and regulate what goes in my body. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel like this anymore. I'm not going to feel useless and as if I can't control myself. I am done. <sighs> I'm done. And I can't wait. I can't wait. And if you're battling any type of addiction, tell somebody, tell one person that you really, really trust, that you really, really trust. And when you're ready, tell whoever you want. You need a support system. You need somebody. You just need somebody to, to let them know like, hey, I have a problem, dude. And if you can't hold me accountable, sometimes we can't hold ourselves accountable. So having someone in your corner to hold the mirror up to you is very crucial in the beginning stages of any change, whether you're trying to lose weight and you're getting back in the gym, whether you are trying to get rid of acne, all that is mental because <laughs> you got to be disciplined. You got to have a routine down. You have to be consistent. And you have to know, like, whenever your brain is telling you to do something that you're trying to avoid, treat it like a, a breakup, treat it like an ex, you know what I mean? Where it's like, nope, we broke up. I can't go back. It's done. It is what it is. I know I love that person still, but they are not good for me. And it's best that I just go a different route and find something else to keep me occupied. That's how I'm treating alcohol because it was my boyfriend. It was my feel good. It was my everything. It was my everything. So now the gym, getting back to eating healthier. I mean, I will say that I do eat healthy, but not as healthy as I used to. Yeah, you guys, um, your girl, I'm back. I, I put the fucking alcohol down. My grandmother would be so proud of me. And I know she's looking down at me and smiling because my grandmother was my strength. She was my rock. And me every day choosing to be sober is me showing respect to her and her journey and everything that she had to go through because if she can do it i can do it because i lived through her and i feel a lot better sharing this with you guys and i hope you guys can be my support system as well now that i put it out there i look forward to talking more about this and and updating you guys about my journey because i hope that looks up to someone and know that the person you're looking up to is not perfect. I am far from perfect and I just want to be very um, inclusive when it comes to my journey. I want to be open more and I hope this helped. So I gotta go. Thank you for listening and I'll catch up with you guys later. All right. Choose sobriety when sobriety is not choosing you.
Take care, you guys. Bye.